0: Brent and
1: Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, President of Wilsey Asset Management. Great to have you here this morning. Uh, with me is Chase. Good morning, Chase. Hey, good morning. We got a lot of things to talk about. Only one hour. The hour goes by so quickly. So let's uh, jump right into it. Let me get the phone numbers now because sometimes what happens, uh, we don't get the mountain time and then we got that, that down pair between when we're doing our introduction here on different topics for the week. Uh, and then people not getting in to call. And then before you know it, it's like, oh, 5 till 9, no time to uh, answer the calls. Phone numbers, I'll write this down. You want to call into the Smart Investing Show, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. And as always, that'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Well, let's talk about uh, chip manufacturing. I, for one, am glad to see positive news from the Senate regarding a bill designed to boost U.S. semiconductor competition. Uh, after a key, key proposal, a procedural vote that passed 64 to 34, the stage is now set for the final passage to the chamber, which will probably happen next week. Uh, it would then head to the House for passage and finally to President Joe Biden to sign the bill into law. The bill will provide, or the bill could provide, about $50 billion in subsidies to aid chip manufacturing. I wanna underline chip manufacturing. Now, some companies like Nvidia, AMD, and Qualcomm aren't as pleased with the bill as they say the bill does not do enough to support them and favors manufacturers like intel manufacturing that's a key word i want people to realize yeah and and, and we say this because i mean
2: we personally think that uh you know the bill should not help those chip designers uh because the chip design well that's a highly profitable business a lot of them is that no we don't need the manufacturing we'll just do the the, the chip design because it's much more profitable so they've been focusing on that the manufacturing side as i said not as profitable profitable, requires a lot more capital as well. And and manufacturing, again, that's where the major issue is. We have seen 48% of chip sales come from U.S. companies over recent years. That's about half. That's pretty darn good, right? that's a good one, yeah. Well, just 12% of the manufacturing takes place in the U.S. Again, we don't need help with chip design. We don't need to give subsidies to these companies to do chip design and have I don't know the exact margin, but I'm going to say a 40, 50 percent margin on chip design. Right. We need the help on the manufacturing side, especially when you look at that 12 percent chip manufacturing now here in the U.S., that's down from 37 percent in 1990. That's a huge decline. And, and one thing, too, that we talk about, and I I, guess I hate to do it, but i, I got to bring up the political side. At first, I was stoked to see this, this bill, yeah. I, I think it came out yeah. on Tuesday. But then now they're talking about, well, you know, yeah, we got the, the the baseline down for the manufacturing side, but also we should put some other stuff in there. And now <laughs> there's talks that the bill could also include uh, a $24 billion refundable tax credit for those semiconductor companies. I, I'm i okay with that. I, I mean, that's still about 70, we'll call about 70, 80 billion dollars that would go to chip manufacturing. Not terrible. I think it right. may be a little excessive, but not terrible. I start to have issues with $81 billion for the National Science Foundation, that's a doubling of the present budget, $9.6 billion for the Commerce Department's National Institute of Standards and Technology, $11 billion for the Commerce Department's Regional Technology Hubs, $50 billion for the Energy Department's Office of Science, $4 billion for the National Labs, and also, too, you can't forget this, a billion dollars for distressed communities and labor markets. How do we go from a chip <laughs> bill to a bunch of other crap that now all of a sudden it goes from $50 billion to $250 billion? That that's This is why nothing gets done in politics. And, and
1: Chase, this has been in politics for many years, and it's unfortunate. I've said this. Why can't they just focus on what they're doing? And the reason that I've been told is because it's like a deal thing. Like, well, okay, we'll do this for you. We'll pass that, but you got to add this onto the bill to make us happy in our region or our district, I guess is what they actually do. And it's just not right because the chip manufacturing, you know, again, you said it's like 12% in the US. Back in 1990, it was 37%. It is falling. And we do not want to have a situation because chips are now in everything, they're in your watches, they're in your, your, your refrigerators, your all, they're everywhere. We don't want to be dependent on someone else around the world where all of a sudden we need important chips, and they say, well, we're not going to manufacture them. Um, yeah. We're going to uh, you know, put a tariff on you or something, so we don't want to be in that position. That's why people are getting confused why we're so for this because manufacturing, it's like oil. When we were oil independent, we didn't care. Now we're going to Saudi Arabia, knock on the door, like, Can you please give us some oil? Don't wanna be in that situation with chips.
0: And
2: I've talked about this before. Taiwan semiconductor is the big semiconductor manufacturer in the world. Samsung's the other large fabrication company as well. What happens if China invades Taiwan? Yeah. We would have a huge shortage of chips. That would be a major issue if we had conflicts with, with China or if the conflicts with China really escalated. Yeah. That would be a major problem and And the thing I look at too is I mean, seventy-five percent, this is something that that I pulled out, seventy five percent of the world's chip manufacturing, it's concentrated in East Asia. So you have an issue there. What are we gonna do? I mean, that would be a huge problem for our society now, because as we talked about semiconductors and everything. And and also too, I wanna talk about why is this chip manufacturing so important? Why do I support this I don't want to say I support the bill. Why do I support <laughs> giving aid of the, the chip bill. manufacturing? Right, right, right. It's because if you look at the incentive gap, depending on the type of fab, that the fabrication uh, site to actually build those semiconductors, in the U.S., it costs approximately 30% more to build and operate over 10 years when comparing to Taiwan, South Korea, or Singapore. And it's 37 to 50% more than one in China. So these companies, they're not in the business necessarily to say, oh, well, we have to build here in the US. They said, no, we're we're here to serve our shareholders. What is gonna be the best thing for us? And now in Europe too, they're giving subsidies to these chip companies. You could see us fall really far behind in the global chip game.
1: And that's one thing the US has been out in front for years is the technology side, and, and you cannot give up that manufacturing part of that. I know Intel is investing, what, $40 billion in the U.S. here to build two plants, but then the third one I think they're building in Europe, I believe, mm-hmm. I think it was. Um, but if the U.S. said, look, if you build that third one here, we'll give you credits or, or something to do it. And also, too, I think i encourage other ones, not just Intel, but other companies, maybe a Qualcomm, maybe NVIDIA, like, oh, let's build a manufacturing plant in the U.S to manufacture chips, which would do multiple things, provide jobs, but also keep it here in the US is is the important part.
2: Yeah, and and the thing I look at too, the reason I'm okay with government spending, but Mm -hmm. I look at it as kind of an investment. Something that you invest in this chip manufacturing, I think would support both the supply and the demand side. Because a lot of the issue, you just give away money. Yeah. You're just increasing the demand side, which is inflationary. But if we're able to create new jobs and you know help these companies out somewhat, yes, you're creating demand, but also we're able to build supply of chips. I think many times that can be a net neutral and not be as inflationary. It could actually help with inflation because now we, we're resolving some of the supply side right. issues. So I think it's, it's something that I
1: hope gets through. And the original, skinny. Yeah, in the original format. I right? was called you called it skinny. Yep. A skinny <laughs> okay. bill. A skinny bill. Okay. Yeah, that that'd be nice to do what it's intended to do and not give billions of dollars to buy the, the, the frivolous things that you and yeah, they are frivolous, I'm sorry.
2: And and, and cause Intel, what they're saying is we're still planning to build chip manufacturing sites in America just because uh, I think probably just uh, supply chain issues. They right. they know that they don't want to have that down the road. But they said the speed at which they build them could really be several years slower if they don't pass anything to aid in the chip manufacturing. Because companies aren't just going to say, oh, well, yeah, here's, you know, I'll just invest $50 billion this year. Even though Intel makes a lot of money, they're not just going to invest at a rapid rate. But if they do have a reduced cost of capital, they they can invest
1: much quicker. Well, let's talk about uh, 529 plans, because I've been getting a lot of questions about 529 plans lately for some reason, and I must say, for the most part, I don't believe they are worth it. Uh, Look at the tax benefits. I do not think they are worth a potential risk. To begin with, some states allow for deductions on state income taxes, but here in California, there's no deduction for a contribution. The other benefit is the funds grow tax-free and withdrawals are tax-free if used for qualifying expenses. The downsides here are that if the funds are not used for qualifying expenses, there is a 10% federal penalty. Uh, California imposed a 2.5% penalty, and the gains are subject to income tax.
2: Yeah, and the other thing, too, is you can avoid those penalties by giving the money to somebody else. It's good if you have another kid, let's say, but if you don't have another kid and you're like, You're just going to give $50,000 to your nephew or niece? (laughs) Your long-lost nephew there. Like I haven't seen him
1: in 20 years, but okay, I guess he gets uh, the money. (laughs) So it's something
2: to to consider there. But uh, also I'll point out the investment options are limited to whichever plan you decide to pursue. And if you go with a broker-advised fund, watch out for the sales commissions on the funds that they are recommending. These are still many times Class A or Class C shares where you could be having a high management fee within those funds or could, again, be paying an upfront sales commission kind of funny to me that they still have those brokerage type oh, yeah. mutual funds in a 529 plan. I, I talked
1: to somebody the other day that actually they still do commissions. Interesting. Yeah.
2: But for the most part I, I will say I recommend building your investments which then gives you the option to pay for college down the road if that is something you would like to do and you believe your kids deserve it. That's one thing too sometimes your kid, you know, as much as you love them, maybe they don't deserve to, to get that yeah. influx of cash. So it, it gives you the most flexibility. I will say there are some cases the 529 plan makes sense. But for the average person, I, I'd say building your net worth, much, much better option there.
1: Yeah, and a lot of people just want to go that direction because they hear it's good and they don't sit down with a good financial planner. And, again, that's where we have Harrison Johnson. But also, too, you, you know, we will kind of look at that as well. And I've never been in favor of these. What I've always talked about, I did it, you know, with you and, and my kids, like build your own net worth and then if your kids – Are going to go to college because it's college is not for everybody. It's it's not like it it doesn't mean you have to go to college to be successful. There are other things you can do. Right now, we've talked in the past too about how strong the trades are. You go to trade school and 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 actually journeyman, you know things. We can start as an apprentice and 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 move up the ladder that way. But it's not always the right way to go. So. I, I'm, I've never been an advocate of saving separately for kids' colleges because what do you do with it? Again, you give it to the nephew or you give it to the, your kid or you keep it, pay the penalties, build your net worth. And, uh, you know, and then also, too, it can hurt you, I believe, also if you're qualifying for loans as well trying to get loans. Yeah, so, yeah I have seen that as grants. well. Grants, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
2: so it's something so. you got to watch out. I, I have seen, though, if you have, <laughs> if you're building your investments, it, that hurts you as well anyway. So <laughs> if you have money, it <laughs> well, doesn't yeah, matter if it's a 529 uh, yeah. or an investment Right,
1: plan. right. I, I, yes, yeah, so you won't get the grants or the loans yeah. that way. But, um, yeah, it, but, but again, it's just something that you, and it, who knows? I mean, your, your child's two years old. Um, unfortunately, I've seen kids that um, they get to be 18, like, no, I don't want to go to college and... You
2: know. and, and what I've done is, when I've talked to a couple of people about this, I, I say, okay, how much are you thinking of saving for your kids? Ah, just like $100 a month. I say, okay, $100 a month. That, that's a good idea. You know, you start saving and building up your investments, let's say. But you look at the tax benefits again, and, and this was a friend that lives in Colorado, so there was right. a small tax benefit there. I was like, that's it? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's the only tax benefit oh, that's not worth it. Then I was right. like, no, it's really not. And I said, there are some, but he said it, it, it favors the wealthy many times where yeah. that's who it makes sense for. The average person that just wants to save $100, $200 for their kid in a 529 plan, not worth it, Yeah, really and, not worth it.
1: And my thing I did with all you kids, either you're going to be in a full-time sport or you're going to go to work and you're going to provide your own way. And that's worked well. And I've, I've, I've discovered my first child, that I said, Oh, I want to be, oh, I want to help her out and have no time for anything. It was terrible because you had so much time to be free and party and stuff. Don't do that with your kids. Yeah. Let them, you know, work through school or, through, and again, not like badminton or something. I'm talking, you played football <laughs> and, and I think you would get up at what, six in the morning, go to practice. I mean, it was a very hectic schedule you had and not just during football season. I think year round, pretty much. You uh,
2: Friday morning's workout started at 5
1: a.m. But there you go. Yeah. 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 So, again. Yeah. yeah. So.
2: It, it was tough. But yeah. I was going to say, too, one thing on the 529 plan is kind of funny is they have different types. And I always recommend doing if you say, you know what, Brent Chase, I disagree with you. I'm doing yeah. 529 plan. Sure. They have different ones that you can do. There's the brokerage ones. I'd say don't do those. There's the direct funds where you can go directly to different states. And here in California, you can choose the Iowa 529 plan. Right. So you can kind of pick and choose. I don't know who in their right mind would choose the California one, because the only time you have to really choose your state is if you get that tax deduction. Well, California doesn't offer any (laughs) income tax deduction, (laughs) so I kind of looked through the options there. I would tell nobody to do the California 529 plan.
1: And like for your friend in uh, Colorado, do they have to go to Colorado school because they got the deduction for that? No. they don't. I know some plans you have to go to certain schools that you do, so be careful of that as well. Yeah, you
2: got to be careful. You got to read the fine print with some of them, but- the, the expenses, and they have advisor-recommended um, 529, right. 529 plans and broker-recommended 529 plans. I talked to a company that did the advisor-recommended one, and they're like, oh, yeah, well, then you have a fee for this and a fee for that, and I'm like, Jesus. <laughs> like, <laughs> and you have to use these funds still, and you're like, oh, well, this is just terrible. So that's the big thing. you got to watch out for those 529 plans is there is a lot of
1: expenses wrapped up in them unless you do the the state plans and I think for a lot of brokers that's an emotional sale like oh you've got to provide for your child's college how dare you not do that and stuff and it's just like it's an emotional thing like selling life insurance an emotional thing where we look at more as the investment what's best for the overall situation we do have I think some fun 529 plans that are
2: we we have a client it's something that we'll do for our clients kind of like how we help our clients with their 401ks we can't manage it but I said, yeah, send me send me your list of options. I think she had one and they had a lot in the 529 plan there. So it was too late to kind of go back on yeah. it. And I said, yeah, send me your list of options. I think they had the Utah 529 plan and there's a couple of good mutual funds in there. So I said, yeah, these are the funds I would recommend. But yeah, yeah the
1: expenses were much lower than again, doing a broker type right. plan. It's a good selling product uh, for brokers because yep. it's something you can sell where we don't sell, we advise. Mm-hmm. So, let's well, about solar panels because apparently investing for green energy is not always gonna work out well in the end. And i was surprised to lose myself. There has been a boom of solar panels uh, for clean energy. Uh, well, now it's coming out that solar panels only last, I was shocked on this, 20 to 25 years on average. After that, many of these panels are being shipped overseas or end up in landfills because it turns out that to recycle them costs more than to me- manufacture new ones. Uh, you may be thinking, wait a minute, uh, silicon is recyclable, which is true, but also mixed in with that silicon is cadmium, I think is how you pronounce it, and lead, and that's a problem. You gotta separate those out to recycle the silicon.
2: Yeah, and the other thing that we look at here too is the Department of Toxic Substance Control from the state of California has listed solar panels under the hazard waste title as universal waste. If you have panels that were installed 20 years ago, they also lose their efficiency by about a half percent per year. So if your panels are 20 years old, you're now only getting 90% of the energy that you were getting when you first bought them. I gotta say it, I would not want to be holding the public solar companies. S-E-D-G, I know First Solar is there, F-S-L-R, and M-A-X-N, those are the ticker symbols for those companies. As I imagine, in future years, they will be blamed and be hit with lawsuits and penalties to clean up the mess.
1: Yeah, and i was so disappointed in this because I was thinking, okay, you know, this would be an area to invest in because it's, it's something that's good long-term. But I do see, and again, the tobacco companies got blamed for cancer um there's other ones i can't think of off the top of my head that have been blamed for the same thing and i see the same thing happening again i'm not talking gun manufacturers year. gun manufacturers there you go uh they're always trying to blame the big companies and you know when we buy something we're going to buy it for the long term um it's possible we could see this in three to five years because all of a sudden the landfill is a problem um how we're going to take care of this and it really concerns me and that's Again, we look at investing in public companies that they're going to be left holding the bag. And I feel bad for people doing this. And I, cause I was thinking about, and I don't have solo yet on my house. Um, but would I get it now or not? I, I, you'd have to do the numbers really because I, I thought they, they would last 50, 60, 70 years. I thought it lasts forever like your house, but a 25 year life. Um, and then you got to turn around and buy it again at a higher price. Now they will probably be more efficient, but still what is the cost over a time frame so
2: yeah and I I think honestly the cost of it because a lot of times they have the incentives and so forth here to, to install it right I think the cost benefit there is pretty good but the problem is what happens 25 years down the road not not so much for you personally because I think you're gonna come out ahead financially again you have to do the numbers but I think financially it still makes sense many times but the big problem i see again, what do we do with them <laughs> you know, like, yeah, yeah. especially if everybody starts doing oh especially you're pushing the solar push how do we dispose of them and you know i i don't know i'm not a hazardous waste expert by any means but i don't know how you dispose of something like that people have also brought up the electric batteries for cars i'm like okay so now we're gonna be building all these evs gonna install all these solar panels how do you dispose of all this stuff? Yeah. Is that yeah. something that we're just looking at and say, hey, well, we'll deal with that in 25 years and see what happens. Yeah,
1: And, and actually think about, I mean, you spent $30,000 for the solar panels today, 25 years. I would guess it's going to be $100,000 because of inflation. Yeah. You're not going to spend the same 30,000 25 years from now. It's going to be probably two to three times that amount. So on top of it, it's a problem. And and every, every product has some problem with it i mean with with uh, gas and oil oh you know pollutant emissions and, yeah you know. emissions and so forth but it's just these things happen you know? so and I, I, and I, I, it's just not a free ride in anything anymore and i hate to say
2: <laughs> it but uh you know it's it's kind of interesting that we're shipping them overseas and it's like oh no we're not doing anything we're shipping it overseas we're good we're green and Right. it's <laughs> like the same thing with buying oil it's like Oh, we're not producing the oil; we're just buying it over here. <laughs> <laughs> Everything over there, like that—that
1: like, that air won't float over here eventually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, uh, all this stuff is—is is in our newsletter. If you want to read more about it, uh, you can get our newsletter. We also have topics in there about cryptocurrency this week, uh, canned beverages, a tort litigation was another industry one that uh, we talk about. A <laughs> surprise—that's about two point three percent. Uh, of GDP. So if you want to read more on that, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can sign up for the newsletter. Uh, I believe you'll see it right in the middle of the page on the website. It says newsletter. I believe if you click on that, uh, you, you'll be able to get the newsletter right there. And, and I, I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, I think it goes out to quite a few people and, um, mm-hmm. you know, just extension of what we do here. All right. Uh, phone numbers here. Uh, 833-288 zero nine seven three that's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three and as always it open up the lines for the unbiased no strings attached what do you want to talk about about your investing maybe you have companies that you have that you're not sure if you'd hold in the portfolio uh, we keep telling you now and it's funny chase back what probably seven eight nine months ago uh, we weren't having much to buy well now is the time you should be looking for buying this is when you call we'll give you our a secondary opinion, or where, try to send you where to look to see if it's a good buy.
2: It's so important, you know. I've been talking to a lot of people, and they still say, I, I, "I'm just nervous about where things are going to go over the next couple months, and I, I just don't see an upward trend. I think things are going to trade sideways, and I, let you me don't,
1: wait till things get better before you, I buy." Exactly, <laughs> and,
2: and you just don't know. And, and what I keep telling people is. Look, we don't know where the bottom is. We right. don't try and time it by any means. You just have to look at that business and say, where is that business going to be two to three years from now? And I'll tell you what, we had a company report this past week. They reported great numbers. They went down 7%. Yeah. And, yeah. Oh, my gosh, terrible. It's like, no, it, it's a great business. And I'm not worried about this last week of being down 7%. Where's that coming to be two, three, four years down the road? You have to understand that your companies are going to hit short-term speed bumps, the stock price is going to be volatile in the short yep. term, and you're not going to buy at the absolute bottom. And I keep telling people as well that both you and I, our portfolios, pretty much fully invested at this point.
1: Yeah, and uh, Warren Buffett's uh, famous saying, uh, be fearful when people are greedy and gre- greedy when people are fearful. And right now, we, we've we been greedy, and I think it will pay off. Uh, I think I, I think we'll see a whole different story by the uh, end of this year, December 31st, and we're prepared for that. So, I think so too. All right, phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Let's go up to Alpine and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you out?
3: Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Uh, Welcome back, Brent.
1: Thank you very much. Appreciate Um,
3: that. I couldn't agree with you more on that 529 plan. I mean... uh, one of the things that I I factor into all that sort of long distance planning is there's gonna be ten congresses between now and when you <laughs> use the money. And you think the laws you think the laws are gonna be the same?
1: Good point. Um, Very good point.
3: And the other thing is uh this in all seriousness, my recommendation is take the money you're gonna spend on your kids' college and when they're four and five years old get a membership on a good country club. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm serious, you know, and enjoy the interest, you know, and they'll grow up with the sons and daughters of other wealthy families, and when you want to get a job, you know, you'll have the, the networking you've already created. Yeah,
1: well, that's a that's a different angle. That's very good.
3: Yeah. So let's talk about uh, Iron Mountain, if you would please. I'm uh, looking at buying it for the for the dividend. Okay. And as always, I'm concerned about the possibility of that continuing uh you know for the next uh, i don't know let's say the next decade
1: okay and i see they're a, a specialty reit i believe they hold uh and jason will probably look this while i'm speaking here um like uh not conference centers like um Oh, like storage centers or something, I think is what they, they hold. But I'm, I'm going to go to the numbers yeah, right. here. And, they, and, yeah, and Chase will kind of look at that a little bit probably as well. So coming again is a Yeah, Iron- document
3: storage and stuff. There yeah. we go. That's yeah. what I was
1: looking for. Thank you. Um, Iron Mountain, <laughs> symbol is IRM, uh, 8.1% float uh, on this uh, company, which is it's not high, but I'm surprised it, it is at 8.1%. Uh, institutional ownership is 79.1%. Uh, P.E. ratio, 31.1%. That's high, but the industry is at 34.1%. Price of sales looks good, 3.0 versus 7.2. Price of book value is expensive, 18.2 versus 18.3. And we do see price of cash flow, 18.6. Just under the industry, it's 19.9. Peg ratio, 4.4. The lower the number, the better. The industry is at 8.7. Now, unfortunately, year-over-year year, earnings fell by 27.3%. The industry was up 25. Why did Iron Mountain uh, earnings go down 1% or I'm sorry, 27% over one year? Their sales went up 8.4%, not quite as good as the industry gain of 10.5. Uh, the five-year earnings per share growth estimate by the analysts is 6.4%. Uh, the industry is at 16, so not doing well there. They do pay a 5.2% dividend. They use 159% of their earnings to pay that out. That compares to the industry using 112% of their earnings to pay that out, and they pay out 2.7. So they could be paying too much of their earnings at, at this point in time. Uh, we do see that we have a on the balance sheet a current ratio of 0.9 versus one2 debt to equity 16.4 versus 4.9 again you got some real estate so it's a little bit different but that number still looks high to the industry i would be worried about that net profit margin 9.6 versus 20.8 return on equity 59 versus 27 i think this company has low equity is my guess but i can turn it over to you chase on, on what you got there
2: i was just thinking about this company too i know they they do that document storage and so forth but I I believe I see their trucks for like shredding documents and kind of part of that oh, yeah. that 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 service. I I wonder kind of how that works because generally the REITs they they're collecting cash flow from rents, but if you're shredding documents, that's not really rent. <laughs> you know that's a service. Right. So I, I that's something I, I I'd be interested to kind of find out more about is
1: why are they classified as a REIT? Where Where is their,
2: their revenue coming from?
1: Maybe it's a smaller part. But they, again, this is when you're investing in a company, you want to know the answer to these questions because you, you bring up some good points to an- get answered.
2: Yeah, well, with that, let's take a look at the numbers going forward here as well. But to start, the current price for, again, Iron Mountain, it's $47.37. I see 52-week high here, $58.61, and the 52-week low, that's $41.67 year to date I see it's down about 7.2% if I go forward to December 2023 again we're looking at the FFO or the funds from operations I see that's estimated to be $3.20 that would give us a target sell price here of $53 and 12 cents so it's it's pretty close it just based off the valuation alone and be in our hold category there wouldn't, wouldn't be a buy at these levels and as i said there's a lot of other questions with that debt level and and also too just the, the functionality of the business
1: yeah and, and also to a very important we use uh, uh, ffo uh, funds from operations because we don't use the earnings because of depreciation on on the REIT. so i i'm not really i, I would not be spending more time on this myself to be honest with you, Jim. Um, I, I, I don't see enough there that gets me excited about it. Very close to target sell price. Only what, about, about, what do you say? 13% away or so. Yeah. So I, I'm not thrilled with it. Uh, I think you said you're holding the portfolio. I'd, I'd probably want to know more about it. Uh, it may come a sell if you do a little more research on it. All righty.
4: All right.
3: Can you hear me?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We can hear you. Yeah. It's a little bit noisy in the background. Oh, okay. Think, Cause yeah. it does
3: the, that. The audio went dead there for about uh, a minute. I had to call back. Oh, oh um, okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Thanks a bunch. I will listen to the uh, podcast so I can pick up the part that I missed. All right. And uh, <clears throat> as always, uh, thanks. And uh, thanks a bunch. All right, See Jim. you guys later.
1: Thanks for the call. Have a good All one. Right.
3: Bye-bye. Bye. All
1: right. That is one of the phone line, 833-288-0973. <clears throat> That's 833-288-0973. Let's go up to San Diego and speak with Fred. Fred, you're on the smart vest show Brent Chase how can we help you
0: yeah hey guys good morning thanks for taking my call sure uh, I just want to talk about the. I just want to talk about this legislation in the center about this chip manufacturer give you give you a little bit about my background my perspective and, and then follow up with a question mm-hmm. uh, I started out after college uh, getting an operations management degree I worked in the manufacturing industry for uh, a few years and several industries, initially aerospace and defense. Then I worked for one of the big three in um, automotive electronics manufacturing, transitioned over into uh, consumer products, you know, uh, printed circuit boards and piece parts and components and and so forth. And um, I then went to work in city government for a while, believe it or not, for about six years. And part of my responsibilities there was to administer federal grants. And I hope to spend some time this weekend, like you gentlemen already have, reading through exactly what's in this bill. Because from my perspective, these grants can be a nightmare to administer. <laughs> yeah. You spend a ton of labor hours and compliance just trying to put all the paperwork together, so that you can uh, so that you can not only apply and get the grant, but along the way, as the money starts coming in that you're compliant with it and you continue to get the money. And in, in some cases, I'm not, I don't think this is the case with this one, but in some cases we turned grants down and didn't apply because it was just too much of a administrative nightmare to deal with it and all the regulation. My, my opinion, and I'm wondering, um, I do understand, I heard what you said as far as the capital investment uh, or excuse me, the, you know, the money to help with breaking ground and construction. My concern is, what does the government define as a capital asset? Because what I've seen is that it could be as little as $5,000. And I'm thinking it might be better. Ideally, this isn't going to happen. But just get a a tax incentive instead and let the the private sector do what they do best, Mm -hmm. which is figure out the best, uh, most prudent way to be able to ramp up manufacturing and production instead of just taking the taxpayers' money. Chase throughout out a and I'm, I'm almost done. Chase threw out a number. I think he said it was $250 billion when this all stacks up. That's like $70 a, a, a citizen here in the United States. Yeah. If, if my math's right. So I'm just wondering what you guys think mm-hmm. about that.
1: Yeah, and, and, and you do bring up a good point, too. I mean, it would be nice to have tax deductions or credits versus grants, but somehow I think we need to get this through and uh, appreciate your experience working in the city because you're saying, it gets there. It's a, a labor nightmare is what I heard to really get things done. But um, and, and, and I wouldn't be too excited about reading the bill yet. And, and there's a senator that was on Fox Business said that the real bill comes out sometime next week. They get about one day to read probably a 1,000 pages uh, which will be the, the entire bill, which is unfortunate that we can't get things done a little bit better than that, a little more efficient, because I think some of these things get on through and nobody reads the the, the things.
2: Yeah, and I, I think you're right. I, I mean, there is a part of the bill that is is slanted towards the tax credits. I, I think that's a, a a great way to kind of do it because it's like, all right, well, you do it, then you get money back. Right. I, I think that that, that that's a easier process and as you kind of said it allows for the private companies to do their thing and as i said at the beginning to, to spend more money at a faster rate i think would help supercharge our, our manufacturing here but yeah I, I i agree with what you're saying there fred i i just uh many times don't think politicians think the same way unfortunately <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah.
1: so yeah so it, it, it's something that uh and again if you find something when you do read it and you can find something of interest and it could could pass next week or will the president by next week. We'll see how fast it goes on through. Get uh, us call back. Let us know if you found something different. All Yep.
0: Yeah, thanks for your time, guys. Have a great day.
1: You too, Fred. Thanks for the call. Bye-bye. All right. <clears throat> What's that? Oh, okay. Uh, that does on the phone line, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go out to Oceanside, or up to Oceanside, and speak with Carl. Carl, you're on the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you?
0: Yes. Um, it's a general question about EV charging stocks. There are so many, like Blink, Charge ChargePoint, the uh, Volta, and so forth. No no uh, company make any profits. But uh, what is the best company to so
1: that's a that's a a difficult question and and we do try to find companies what well, we do find companies that are profitable now the charging stations that you're talking about you're right because right now they're capital intensive they're trying to build that up to get all these systems around the country you probably will not find one of them being profitable at least I don't believe so so that's more the growth side we would stay away from that if you did find one, you may find one making profits. I don't think they'd have a very attractive profit margin. Sometimes in investing, you have to pick where you're gonna invest. And I know where you're going with this, that, well, this could be the wave of the future. Uh, sometimes, at the beginning of the show, we talked about solar panels turned out to be this way. What if down the road, that actually the EV market is not such a great thing? Um, all those companies will not do very well. And I know that sounds way off track from what people think thinking now, like, oh, everybody's EV, EV. But maybe down the road, five, 10 years, they find something that, oh, it's not such a good thing. Um, that's why we wanna invest in established companies that are on sale, not try to predict what's gonna be a great business down the road 10 or 20 years.
2: Well, and I wanna also understand too about the EV charging stations is, what is their path to profitability? Yeah. There's a lot of times companies where they're not making money yet, but and it's still not something we invest in, but I can see how you become profitable in that type mm-hmm. of business. With, with the EV charging, I also worry, what if all these people, they don't need the EV charging because we just all charge at home and you charge very slightly yeah. on the road. I don't see how that's going to be extremely profitable. The other problem, as you said there, Carl, is there's so many out there. It's really a guessing game. And you don't know. I mean, some of these companies might start picking up deals with like a GM and a Ford. Well, if that one had bad numbers and all of a sudden they get those good partnerships, well, that might be the one that survives. You just don't know. You can't predict the future. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes here. It, it's it's really a gamble here when you're looking at these EV charging companies.
1: Yeah, and the other thing, too, like gas stations, you could not fill up gas at your home. but you bring up, good <laughs> boy, Chase, is that what prevents you from buying an EV and just getting the charging station at your home? Because you've got electricity there. So maybe there'll be too many of these charging stations. I do see a lot of them now from Tesla, and I guess they're convenient. But sometimes I've heard it takes two hours to, to do that. So... I, it's just an area, Carl, that I would not want to be even looking at because it sounds like it could be something in the future, and I could be wrong, but I just don't think, uh, again, it's something unique where we had gas stations. You could you had to go to the gas station to fill up your car. You don't have to do it with an EV car. So I, I would I would not be wasting my time looking at that area. All righty? Okay. Thanks for calling, Carl. Bye-bye. All right. That opens the phone line, 833 288 0973 right now it's time to go to our financial planner our CFP Harrison Johnson good morning Harrison how you doing this morning
4: good morning guys I'm doing well how are you guys doing
1: good good a very important subject today because I think a lot of people don't understand this you're talking about understanding internal rate of return also known as IRR
4: yeah so I thought it was helpful to talk about this because this is something that you can use to look at really any type of investment whether it's a, um, a series of stock investments over time um, real estate investments annuities life insurance social security all types of things and, and basically what the IRR is is it's how you calculate return of a series of cash inflows and outflows over time so quick example um, you know if you invest a hundred or I'm sorry ten thousand dollars a year for 30 years at eight percent you'll have 1.1 $1. 1 million dollars that's at the end of that 30 years. So in this, your cash outflows are technically this $10,000 a year that you're putting into this investment. And then at the end of this 30 years, you are able to receive back cash inflow $1.1 million. And so based on that, the IRR is 8%. So that's a quick example. But the reason why I wanted to talk about this is earlier in the week, Brent gave me um, this little advertisement that he saw that um, was talking about tax reduction strategies. And it looks like it was targeted at you know affluent people, wealthy people, based on their marketing materials. So I, I took a closer look at it, and there was a scenario that um, has a, a an example of an investment, and you know it's got you know tax deferred growth, tax free access, no reportable income, competitive returns, asset protected, no losses, liquidity, compounding interest, all of these all these things, but we have to understand what actually the return of this potential investment would be to see if it's actually worthwhile. And so in this scenario, they had a a client or prospect or just a person and they were supposed to save hundred thousand dollars a year for 20 years. If they were able to do that, then they could access this investment and receive $150,000 of tax free income for the next 20 years. And at the end of that, they would still have about $819,000 left. So in this, looking at it that way, it's hard to tell if that's a good investment or not. Well, I save $100,000 now, I'll get $150,000, and it's tax-free, and I'll still have some money left over. But if we actually look at the cash flows of this, $100,000 out, $150,000 in, 1819000 dollars remaining after that, the internal rate of return of that is a little bit less than 3%. So 3% is not very good. If we told our clients, hey, if you invest in us, you'll get almost 3%, you know. We wouldn't, get we wouldn't have any clients. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, so in this type of investment that I was looking at, you know, the actual return is, is nowhere listed. It's just, well, tax-free growth, tax-free access, you know, you, you get this income. But in order to determine if it's actually something worth pursuing, you know we have to look at that IRR so it's a it's a good calculation to apply to a lot of different uh, um, a lot of different situations
1: and the Harrison the ad you're talking about wasn't a magazine it was a full page ad and it was very enticing i saw it like well gosh you know i am making that kind of income um, what are they doing here and i knew it was some smoke and mirrors i'll call it that's why i gave it to you to kind of take a look at it but i you came out with an internal ret- rate of return of what 3% no one's going to do that they're just going to go to these guys like, oh, wow, look at what I'm getting. And so forth. at these tax deductions, I-, I would love to see one of those clients uh, hear this ad that or, or hear us here on the radio, give you a call, go to you and have you do the returns. Like, well, that's not what they told me. <laughs>
2: well, it's because, as you said, they don't speak returns. It's, it's they use the buzzwords of tax free, reduced taxes, asset protection. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. And
4: no one hates taxes more than me. So Uh, I do. I do. (laughs) Maybe you do. So, you know, we all hate taxes and and tax free growth and tax free access. All of those things are great as well. But the reason why we don't like taxes is because it hurts our net positive cash flow. That's what we want to look at in this situation. In this situation, even though it's tax free. You know, less than 3% return over 40 years, that's that's not a good return that anyone would be happy with.
2: And I think sometimes, too, people argue with you on on the tax side of things, and it's like, oh, yeah, but you paid all these taxes. Like, okay, back out the taxes. You still had a 7% return. Right. And it's like, would you rather make 9% pay taxes unless you have a 7% return, or, hey, you paid no taxes, but you made less than
1: 3%. <laughs> Man, that's pretty darn
4: good, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sitting in cash, you don't pay any taxes. So you also don't have any growth. Well, Harrison,
1: that's why you're at Wilson Asset Management because you're—I'm going to say—the best financial planner in San Diego, perhaps the state of California, because you look at things much deeper. You're not trying to sell people product. You're not trying to sell them insurance or annuities. You're really trying to look at their situation, their financial plan, like a cash flow analysis, internal rate of returns. That's why you're with Wilson Asset Management. So, thanks for your your uh, topic today. We appreciate it. We'll see you on Monday.
4: All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see
1: you Monday. righty, right. Bye-bye. All right. Again, that is Harrison Johnson. He's a CFP with Wilsey Asset Management. If you want a free consultation with him, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. You can send him an email, or you can call him at the office at 858-546-4306. Again, that's 858-546-4306, and you can reach Harrison through the phone. All right, uh, let's go back to the calls here. Uh, let's go. I think next on the line was uh, Joe in Oceanside. Good morning, Joe. How you doing? You're on the Smart Business Show. How can we help you out?
5: Good morning, gentlemen. Nice to talk to you again.
1: Well, good for good, uh, Glad you're there. Yeah. You disappear
5: on us yeah, for a little bit and then you come <laughs> back. <laughs> well, I had to build up some stuff and I hope you helped me over because I'd give you more time. And I'm glad, Brent, you uh, came around to. GM uh, not maybe paying a dividend until next year like uh, me and Chase thought maybe. <laughs> All right. So I was I've, wrong on that one. Okay. Uh, I'll be wrong.
1: That's that's once that's, for the decade. Okay. But go ahead. <laughs> okay. It, it,
5: wasn't it, I don't know if EVGo um, actually for that other caller Carl and Oceanside, uh, they did a deal with either Walmart or GM I thought maybe.
2: Yeah. that I know GM has been, and the GM did a deal with uh, Pilot, the, the gas stations, and I think it was EVGo was their, their partner there. So yeah. Yeah.
5: Yeah, but um, um, anyway, and about that, the Intel uh, chase thing you were talking about, the inflation, but wouldn't they make everything more expensive because doing it here, obviously?
2: Part of the issue I look at, too, is the supply chain side of things is we don't have enough chips. So if we can get more supply of chips, it should then reduce the cost of chips overall, just an input cost for... You know, businesses. I I think right now, you look at a lot of auto manufacturers. Mm -hmm. They're not able to produce enough cars right now because well, we have no chips. Right. So we need more chips. We need more manufacturing. That's kind of what I was talking about on the inflation front. And,
1: And actually, sometimes things can be done cheaper here in the U.S. because you don't have the logistics. You don't have the the shipping problems. I mean, so many things can be done better here. But it would be nice to have the government help. A manufacturing company like an Intel or any other manufacturer of chips here, so it may not be that much more expensive. And the big thing for me is control. I don't want to be dependent on some other country for things such as born as chips. So
5: agreed, agreed. Okay, I called about the telecoms though, and I know you guys know this area. And uh, you know, VZ is the one I'm, I guess I chose to talk about um, uh, uh, because uh, you know, uh, between AT and T and VZ, uh, you know, VZ just. Didn't grow any customers and AT&T. Uh, it was a different issue. I um it was uh, it, they, um, well, we, oh, they, Yeah, they just people took longer to pay.
1: Yeah, yeah. well, we, we got some information on that, but uh, do you hold Verizon by the way, Joe? <clears throat>
5: I can either confirm or deny. Okay.
1: All right. right. Depends what I say about it. But, um, okay, let's take a look at the numbers on uh, Verizon. I'm glad you're calling about it because I was kind of curious. I know they came out with their earnings this uh, past week. Uh, Coming again as Verizon, symbol VZ. They're in the telecom services. Only 0.9% float. Uh, Surprise on low institutional ownership, 64.5%. I thought that would be higher. Now, the PE ratio does look good 8.7 versus 15.8. Price to sales, 1.4, same as the industry. Price to book value, 2.2 versus 1.8. And price to cash flow, 5.1, just slightly ahead of the industry at 4.9. They do have a good peg ratio. The lower the number, the better. Peg ratio for Verizon, 2.3, half the industry at 4.6. Now, the earnings for uh, Verizon over one year climbed by 6.4%. That is better than the industry, down 17%. Their sales are only up 1.1%. Industry up 1.2, so not much there. Five-year growth uh, estimate from the analyst, uh, they see Verizon growing at 3.6%. over the next five years, about a third of the industry at 9.7, so that is disappointing. People like Verizon for the dividend. They do pay a 5.8% dividend using 49.6% of the earnings to pay that out. The five-year growth on that dividend is only uh, 2.1%. Look at the balance sheet for Verizon. This used to be a problem. Uh, we do see a current ratio 0.8 versus one it's getting better but their debt to equity is still kind of on the high side 2.2 the industry is at 1.8 so i wish that was a little bit lower i think they are trying to pay down their debt uh, we do see a net profit margin of 15.9 percent for verizon versus 9.2 return on equity very good 25.6 versus 13. Chase, what do you got?
2: Yeah, so current price here for Verizon, $44.45. 52-week high, definitely pulled back from that uh, after the decline yesterday as the high again was $56.33. The 52-week low, $43.76. That was hit yesterday, so it did. I don't want to say bottom out, but it did come off that that bottom there yesterday um, slightly. Year-to-date return down 11.3%. They were holding up quite well before the results, it appears. But if I go out to December 2023, I mean, this company is now trading with tremendous valuations as the estimated earnings per share is $5.51. give us a target sell price of $91.47? So very attractive there. And one thing we were talking about before uh, we started the show is we were actually talking about telecom funny enough. But I was saying that it, it's interesting, like Verizon, AT&T, they trade about seven, eight times future earnings. But T-Mobile still trades at like 21, <laughs> 22 <laughs> oh, as the 22 future earnings. Year. I yeah. just looked at
1: that. Yeah. And, and also, do the other, other funny thing, too, you brought up, Chase, was I think you said that Verizon grew their subscribers at, was at 14,000? Yeah, it was it was in the... the Low double digits there. double digits yeah. versus AT&T grew at, I think, 800000 Yeah, and that was on the um, post-paid subscribers for, for mobility. Right, right. So I think AT&T got to have some negative, um, but still I think the numbers look better on AT&T. And also, too, 90 days ago... The earnings estimate uh, for uh, Verizon was 562, so their estimates have come down.
2: And I do believe it's kind of funny uh, that AT&T took a lot of flack for cutting their dividend, but I, I believe their dividend, and this was a little bit ago, was still higher than Verizon. So yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I I think, personally, AT&T is more attractive in their valuation and is absolute absolutely higher there uh with Verizon the dividend is higher at AT&T I, I I like AT&T better but with that said I mean Verizon numbers here they 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 don't look bad except that debt to equity is a little bit high
1: yeah and I, I know AT&T was paying down I think 400 billion dollars of debt I don't know if Verizon was on the same track or not but these are things we look at uh, on companies so we well I think you can kind of tell we prefer AT&T over Verizon but uh you won't confirm or deny if you own it, so I can't <laughs> say good or bad for you.
5: <laughs> well, yeah, no, I think AT&T, especially after hearing the earnings, yeah, at definitely seems a little better. Um, I just, uh, just, you know, I hear the word "value trap" uh, running around Verizon, uh, and I just, you know, was wondering your opinion on that. Do you think they're just going to slowly get back to where? You know, yeah,
2: I mean, they the they could be because if they have no growth, but I, I just, I don't think they're going to decline. I don't think you're going to have major issues. I don't know what Verizon does on the internet front as well, or if they just focus primarily on the the mobility and the cell phone, basically. So uh, I don't know the Verizon business as thoroughly, but uh, I would say that if it is just mobility, I'm not too concerned about it necessarily being a huge value trap. I think you're not going to see Verizon stock go from, when I say 44 down to 20 or anything like that. That'd be ludicrous, but... I mean you never know but I I, I I don't see it necessarily as a huge value trap it, it could be but I think at, at these valuations it's it's pretty reasonable
1: and one thing we don't look didn't look up for Verizon was the cash flow to see how safe that dividend is mm-hmm. I assume their cash flow is good but you'll want to look at that uh, uh, the payout ratio did I give the payout ratio I think I did for Verizon what was it for the dividend uh, I think it was pretty good 40 49.6 percent so I think that dividend's probably safe with yeah. Verizon as well so, all right, Joe.
5: Well, I guess of fine for those who own Verizon, then just uh, click that dividend and hold on and wait, I guess.
1: I guess you could, or sell it and buy something better. <laughs>
5: <laughs> sure. Thanks a lot, gentlemen.
3: All right,
1: Joe. Thanks for the call. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 833 288 Let's go to San Diego and speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Investing Show Brent Chase. How can we help you
0: Hi, Brent Chase. I would like to uh, get your opinion or run the numbers on Aero Electronics, please.
1: Okay. Do you hold that or looking to buy it?
0: No. Just thought about buying it possibly. They seem to be trading in a very narrow range. I don't know if that's good or bad, really.
1: Okay. Well, let's take a look at uh, Aero Electronics. Their symbol is ARW. They're in the industry of electronics and computer distribution. Uh, only 2.9% float, 97% institutional own. That's very, very high. Uh, we do see a PE ratio, very good 6.8 versus 10.8. Price of sales, 0.2 versus 0.3 for the industry. That's good. Uh, price of tangible book value, 2.5 versus 12.5. So that's a, another positive there. Uh, price of cash flow, not so positive, though, 38.3. Uh, that's above the industry at 25.6. And then the peg ratio does look good, though, 1.1 versus 5.3. Now, looking at the earnings growth over the last year here, we see it's up 59.5%. That's better than in the industry growth of 26.9. Sales, however, were only up 7.8% uh, versus the industry of 51%. So the two are flip flop, and I'm, I'm not sure why that is. So I, you want to find out why their sales didn't grow as good as the industry but yet their earnings grew better than the industry. Did they have some write-offs or something? What What's going on with those earnings to have them look so much better? Uh, they do not pay a dividend. We see on the balance sheet a current ratio of 1.5 versus 1.7. That's good. Uh, debt to equity, 0. 0.6 versus 0. 0.4. That's another positive. Uh, net profit margin, 3.6 versus 2.4. Return to equity also looking good, 23.6 versus 12.6. And even return on invested capital is 16.5. Beating the industry at 10.6. I think it's going to come down to what Chase says about the earnings going forward here.
2: Well, the other thing, too, is I was kind of looking at the company. I was curious what they they do is they're actually a global distributor of electronics, and they connect connecting supplies and semiconductors, components, and IT solutions to more than 180,000 small and mid-sized customers. So they're almost like a middleman, it seems like, right. between semiconductor companies and then small and mid-sized companies, and it looks like they're the second largest semiconductor distributor in the world, and actually the largest for North American chip distribution. So, pretty pretty good sized company here. Uh, but sometimes I, I do get worried with I'm going to call them the middlemen, yeah, uh, in businesses because sometimes well what if it's more profitable go just direct? So yeah. that's always one thing I keep in the back of my mind with companies like this. Another thing though, looking at the current price for Arrow, it's $119.61. I see the 52, week high $137.95. The low, $105.33. Now, if we go forward for the company out to December, 2023, I see estimated earnings per share of $19.24. It would give us a target sell price of $319.38. Now that looks really attractive. That's a forward PE multiple, of about six times future earnings. Very six true. times? Six
1: times. Oh. very
2: attractive but the other thing that I want to point out is there's a huge range between the analysts the low is $13.30 the high is $22.50 and the other thing too is I am seeing year over year growth I mean this year they're estimated to grow earnings $42.60 and then next year that's a, they're looking for a decline of about thirteen percent. So the the variability and the cyclicality of these earnings look to be quite substantial. Something you, you got to be really cognizant of.
1: And I do see the last sixty days that the earnings have been falling as well. But again, the, the important part here is that big range you said of the earnings. at the uh, how many analysts was it? I nine. Nine. Yeah, so nine analysts. That's a good amount. And and they're not really close on that number. So it always worries me that you know nobody they're really knows. What's that? What's yeah. that?
0: They're not getting good information themselves.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and they just don't have a good conviction that it, it's going to come in at that. Uh, we we like that tighter range. Uh, when they're that far off, it could be something wrong with the company, or somebody could be seeing something that.
2: Yeah. You know, or there could are. be one All person right. that's pumping it up, or another person yeah. that's saying, Ah, this company's terrible, and you got to look to, like the. I guess. The different you have to Go with the
0: lowest number, probably wouldn't you, if you were gonna uh, and just go with that.
2: Sometimes. I mean, it's it's good to look at, but sometimes if everybody else is at, like, 20 and then there's one guy at 13, eh. right.
1: and Right. And it's one thing we have kind of done a, on our numbers. Uh, we do our numbers every Monday morning on all our companies, kind of what we kind of share here with you here. Um, but it is one thing we do kind of look at, like, well, what's the lowest guy think? It, it, and that's kind of like a bottom number is that if that still is not below <laughs> where the stock is or it's not very – it still yeah. gives you a good price. We well, okay. Well, that, right. that could be a positive. I, I think what was that? Thirteen thirty would give you a target price of what Chase? Uh, putting it on the spot. Oh, uh, you put I you didn't, didn't put even calculate. Calc- I didn't
2: <laughs> even calculate the thirteen thirty. Giving me a hard time over here. <laughs> thirteen thirty would still give you a target sell price of two hundred twenty dollars. Um, so it, it's still a, a good value, but there could have like cyclical peaks in this business where the the P/E multiple look very attractive when when the c- cycles is high. But if the cycle pulls back, their PE could skyrocket because all of a sudden their earnings went way down. So there's right. always something you got to keep an eye out with uh, companies that are cyclical by nature. And I don't know enough about aeroelectronics, but it does concern me to see 42% growth followed by 19% decline. That, yeah. that tells me there are maybe quite large cycles here. Yeah.
0: All right. All right. Thanks. And you know, may, may I say something about green uh, energy? I've heard recently, too, that those uh, wind turbines uh, – the blades only last so long, and now there's a problem with uh, what do you do with them. It's, it's hard to take them apart. Yeah. Uh, there's
1: no big problem with that also. Yeah, uh, that's true. Thanks for that comment. Appreciate it. But,
0: um, okay, thanks. Okay,
1: Jim, Appreciate thanks for time. calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Um, well, uh, that, gosh, yeah, this, today went by quick. We had a lot of callers today. I apologize to David, to Tony. We didn't get to you, a couple other people that, that went off. It was just a, a busy day on the phone today, so we're here every week, so if we miss you today, all next week. We can always get you uh, next week there. Yeah, we're not going anywhere. Yep, and we have no workshop. We did the workshop this past Thursday. The next one will be, uh, I think we said October, November. November. November, we're going to do November. Uh, But we're always, you know, at the office for free consultations. If you want us to review your portfolio, sit down, talk more about what we do, uh, we always do that for people. Give us a call at the office at uh, 858-546-4306 and uh, talk to myself or to Chase. And usually if you leave a message, Chase is usually the one that calls back and sets up the appointments. Yeah, and also, too, you can leave a note on the website. Yeah, there you go. All right, well, there's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for an informational person only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Willsey or Chase Willsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858 858- five four six four three oh six and be sure to visit our website smart investing dot com that's smartinvesting two thousand dot com and for more daily educational information on investment tips go to our Facebook group page smart investing with Brent Chase Wilsy thanks for listening to the show today we'll be back next week have a great weekend and we'll talk with you soon
3: to I did all that and may I say